Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of the This Is Gonna Hurt podcast with Jay Gordon Duncan. And if you're wondering why the Jay, the answer is I'm not a bagpipe player. And if that joke doesn't make any sense, I encourage you to check out episode zero where I explain that joke as well as the purpose of the This Is Gonna Hurt podcast where we talk about faith, family, fitness, finances, and sometimes fun. Well, I'm incredibly excited to be on the air with my friend, Leon Brown. And Leon is a friend, filmmaker, but you'll do a better job introducing yourself than me. So, Leon, introduce yourself, please. Hey, Gordon. Well, thank you so much for having me on your podcast today. Um, Name is Leon Brown, born and raised, at least for part of my life in L.A., out of LA, uh, been a whole bunch of places only because I was in the Navy for 10 years. Uh, got out of the Navy, worked a little here, worked a little there, until finally uh, arriving in the film and entertainment industry. And I've been here a few years now, and it's been an absolute blast meeting some uh, great people, working on some amazing sets, different TV shows like NCIS and uh, TV pilot episodes. And most recently, as I'm sure we will get into, I wrote, produced, and starred in a horror feature film called Manifest Evil. Leon, I'm looking forward to talking about the movie, but I'd love to hear more about your background. It's incredibly inspiring and I mean, you've got degrees, you've been in the Navy, but could you give us a little bit of your background? Sure. Uh, you know, uh, many of us have certain elements in our background that uh, uh, we can take it or leave it. And so a part of that aspect of my background was I was born in Los Angeles during the crack epidemic. And so that took a hold of many members in my family, including my mother. Uh, so when I was born, I was a crack baby. And I was raised in West Adams in L.A. watching uh, my family members, including my grandmother, my mother, my aunts, smoke crack. Uh, During that time, back in the late 70s, early 80s, hearing gunshots every night. Uh, Unfortunately, I um, just met my father about nine years ago. My mother left me when I was 15. And I have been on my own ever since. I had to drop out of high school to take care of myself. And now uh, I do. I hold four degrees and I'm a filmmaker. So it's uh, quite interesting to see how things get turned around and how everything works out. Well, I appreciate you sharing your story. It's, I mean, you share it in a way that you've learned an incredible number of lessons. You didn't let those things hold you back. But then you also had to have some direction, some drive. I mean, Navy, four degrees, uh, and now a filmmaker. When you think about that progression, what was the what was the goal that you went after? That was probably the the, the biggest. I mean, was it the degrees? Was it Navy? Was it a filmmaker? I mean, I think people can be encouraged by hearing that. Right, yeah, uh, being a filmmaker, being an actor and a writer was, was never in my list of to-dos growing up. But, but I, I will say this, you know, when we kind of think about goals and, and who inspired me and things of that nature, uh, although my mother left me when I was 15, I was, I was just telling my wife, uh, by the way, I'm married, 16 years married, I have four kids. Uh, today in our house, I had um, 
shut the door on my daughter. She was down the hall, but I had shut it and I was playing with her. And I had a flashback because, and I told my wife this, so I had to go over and hug my daughter because um, the flashback when I closed the door was seeing me at 15 years old sitting in front of a door when my mother said, I'll be back. And I sat there in front of this door in this condo for 24 hours and she never came home. That was the last time I saw her for years. And so closing the door, my daughter kind of put me there, you know, I mean, we have all these things in our head. Sometimes they're helpful. Sometimes they, they hurt. But, uh, you know, despite my mother leaving me, one of the things she did well, uh, I believe anyway, was she instilled in me the need for education. Mm-hmm. It was one of those, you know, whatever you do, get an education. So I knew when I dropped out of high school, because, again, I had to take care of myself uh, getting degrees, completing my high school education, things like that, it was in the forefront of my mind. And the Navy just kind of was happenstance. I was working and a guy came and put his um, two-week notice in. I said, where are you going? He said, I'm joining the Navy. And he said, you should come uh, check it out. I'm like, no, I'm not worried about that. And then next thing you know, I'm being yelled at at boot camp. So it was kind of a blur. (laughs) The recruiter was so good. And and then 10 years later, so now we find ourselves here. Leon, when I first met you, and you met my wife Amy, and I'm telling her Navy degrees, and and she asked me, uh, how many lives has this guy had? And so you've accomplished a lot, and and I don't want to assume anything. Where would you say your drive comes from? Yeah, I I think if you uh, will allow me to get a bit spiritual for a minute, I would say, of course, God. Uh, but I also believe God uses means, and so uh, he used my mother, as I said earlier, to ensure that uh, though she was absent, that I, I had in my mind, okay, get an education. She used my aunt, who instilled in me a desire to be financially stable. Uh, and I, so, But beside my mother and, and my aunt, I would say uh, I don't know if there is another option but to have drive to succeed. I mean, what's, what is it? It's either succeed or fail. And I know that I don't want my kids growing up the way I did, growing up in the hood, uh, hearing gunshots every night. I know that I want my wife to feel like I'm a husband who loves her and takes care of her. So I have to keep pushing in order to ensure my kids are taken care of, my wife is taken care of, and I think in a larger scale, uh, the community where I live. And I know I can't do that sitting on my butt. So I got to get out there and push. I got to get out there and make a way. I got to get out there to ensure I'm exhausting every possibility so that the goal at the end of the day is met, which in my opinion, I would say is success. Mm-hmm. And success doesn't, of course, equal, you know, just Ubers and Ubers of money. But for me, it means ensuring that I love my wife, I love my kids. And I love my community, and I get to wake up every morning doing what I enjoy doing, which is uh, being a filmmaker and an actor. Uh, Leon, I, I've I, I meet people who are actors. I met one last week, and he's sharing, uh, you know, his role in this TV series, this TV series. But now, all of a sudden, you're writing, acting, and producing. So I want to I want to hear about all of that. But I think first of all. Uh, we got how did you get into acting like where where did that come from and then i want to hear you know how did all those other aspects come together 
So again, uh, acting wasn't on my to-do list growing up, uh, but when I had moved back to LA, there was an acquaintance of mine who said, hey, Leon, I, I, there's someone I want you to meet. And I'm like, sure, you know, and so we went to a barbecue joint uh, off La Brea in LA, and I'm sitting on one side of the table, and my acquaintance and his friend are sitting on the other side of the table, and I'm just kind of waiting for the conversation to start, and uh, this new gentleman I had met said, hey, um, I'm an actor. Have you ever considered taking acting lessons? It literally happened just like that. It was just, there was, there was no wow. small talk. There was no nothing. And I said to him, I've never considered taking acting lessons, and I don't know why I should. And he kind of began to explain to me, hey, well, acting, even if you don't want to be an actor, acting lessons can help you here and here, things like presence and public speaking. And I said, okay, well, I'm always willing to be a better public speaker. And of course, everybody wants presence. You want to feel like you're felt when you walk into a room and appreciated. And so I decided to take his advice. I began taking acting classes in Burbank, California at a studio there with a gentleman by the name of Sal. And literally, that's all she wrote. I remember going to the, the first class and this was back in 2019. And he told me to bring a monologue. So I brought a monologue, the famous You Can't Handle the Truth speech. And so okay. I did it. He gives me some feedback. And I went to him afterwards and I said, you know, well, what do you think? And he said, well, are you going to be back next week? I said, sure. He said, okay, we'll bring a different monologue. So a week passes. I come back to his beginner acting class. I do my monologue again. And afterwards, again, same question. Well, what do you think? And uh, without trying to uh, sound like I'm, you know, tooting my own horn, so to speak, he said, I wouldn't have asked you back if I didn't think you were good. He immediately promoted me to the advanced acting classes and start farming me out to all these specialized courses. Because again, I'm an older person. I didn't, you know, start when I was 10 years old. And so right. he did that to advance my study and my understanding of acting. And I just fell in love. I mean, I, I, I was telling a friend of mine today, he's a um, recurring actor on a show uh, that's on Peacock. It's called Ordinary Joe. And I said, can you tell me any other um, business in the world where in two days, and this happened to me, uh, you're going to be a sharecropper, a pimp, a doctor, and somebody's love interest? I mean, those are like my last four auditions, right? It's just like you have to be all these different people. And uh, that's one of the things I find exciting about being an actor. Well, uh, you're already, for lack of a better term, uh, a multi-hyphenate. I mean, I, you didn't just go start auditioning. Next thing you know, I hear you're, you're writing a short, uh, award-winning short, by the way, and writing a movie and then producing – so, I mean, so much of the podcast is about how people overcome obstacles or what did they do to get to where they're going. So, how did they go from praise from an acting coach to all those other areas? So, uh, I was a published author prior to becoming an actor. So, there was, in a very small sense, a desire to write. I just didn't know what I was going to write. Like you mentioned, was it a short film, a feature film, a TV series? What genre would it be, right? Is this a dramedy, a drama, a comedy? Is it a docu-series, what? And so 
over the course of probably about six months, I had the opportunity in two, uh, 2019 to co-write a couple of short films that we made. And as you mentioned, they were award-winning films. Went to the festival route and people praised them and we had great cast, great crew, but then something happened and it affected me and Gordon it affected you and it affected everybody who's listening to this podcast and we now affectionately call it COVID-19 and so that shut down the entertainment industry nobody was auditioning I don't care you know what level of success you have I don't care what level of notoriety it just shut everything down for a period of time and that forced me to ask myself the question, how interested am I in writing? Okay, I co-wrote a couple of short films, but is it going to move any, any farther? And that's when I said, I've been dabbling with this idea for a horror feature film for some months. I'm going to write it. And then we went from writing it to producing it. We went from producing it to now uh, it is going to be released on demand, iTunes, Amazon, and Google Play March 15th. It's called Manifest Evil. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> and now, again, we're going to dig in. I got a bunch of questions to get there. But what do you think the value is as an actor to also write and produce? What's the value in that for an actor? Well, there are uh, several uh, actors that, that many of us know. For example, Issa Rae, who uh, has been doing some amazing work. She did. Uh, a feature film that she starred in with uh, someone I also enjoy, Lakeith Stanfield. It was called Photograph. Uh, but before that, before anybody knew who she was, before anyone knew, you know, about her uh, producing capabilities and her writing capabilities, she was doing some stuff online that eventually got picked up and eventually became the show that we know now called Insecure. So. Mm-hmm. I'm not quite sure all of the details of of why she started writing, but I know one of her encouragements to actors is to write and produce your own material. Don't wait till a casting office calls you and says, hey, we finally got a role for you. We want to book you somewhere because the reality is most actors will be waiting for a long, long, long time. But the other thing too is which, you know, they're so, we're all unique, right? And we all have these great ideas, and because we have these great ideas, we need to get them out. And, you know, there are some great casting offices out there and great writers and producers, but they're only giving us just a sliver of all the ideas that are out there. So it should be really an encouragement to many of us who want to write to put our stuff on paper and produce our stuff so the world can just see how creative we actually are. You know, I love that, Leon. Uh, rest should be purposeful. Mm. But when it comes to our careers, if we're resting, we're not working, we're not creating, we're not moving <laughs> forward. Uh, but people may call or knock, and we all want that, right? And it happens every now and then. But man, if it's not purposeful rest, and we're sitting around doing nothing, I mean, it, it sounds like that's not what you did. You're like, I'm going to make something for myself. And now Manifest Evil is coming out. It'll be the day after this. And, and we'll remind everybody of the details. So tell us enough about Manifest Evil to hook us, but don't give away too much. 
Okay, enough to hook you, but don't give away too much. First, uh, let me praise my producer, Jenny. Uh, she was in many ways the backbone of this film. So oftentimes, especially if it's you know bigger budget films, like think Batman that just came out recently or other films that we're familiar with, you hear about the actors. That's a main draw why we go to the movies or see it in our homes. Occasionally, we hear about the writers. Think about Jordan Peele's new film, Nope, which comes out in July, which I look forward to seeing. Uh, but it's, in my experience, rare that we hear about the producers. So again, the, the first person I want to praise is our producer, Jenny, because she carried a lot of weight to ensure this film got done. Mm, uh, nice. And then because she was so good, yeah, it is nice, you know, because she was so mm -hmm. good at all that she did, uh, the film came to be. Um, so I had my part in it, of course, as a producer, as well as a writer and as executive producer. She had her part. We had a great crew. We had a great cast that is, you know, a series of actors. And so what's the film about? Yeah. I don't know uh, when <laughs> you've ever seen a little black boy on a crucifix. That cover, that poster is something. I mean, I'm going to include it yeah. in all these notes and everything. <laughs> and, and, and I got to, I got to give you credit. It's not shock value for shock value. It is what's happening. Why is there a little boy on a, on a crucifix? I mean, what's going on? Yeah, yeah, and that's where you have to watch the movie to find out what's going on. But I will say this, you know, not only in my opinion is that something that uh, is new to the horror genre. And I also wonder if we should even talk about why horror, but yeah, I, you need to. Yeah, I, I also wonder when was the last time anyone saw? Okay, let me let me let me let me um, put the trope out there, right? Uh, in horror films, uh, the black guy dies first, if there's any black guys in it at all, or black gals for right. that matter. Right. Uh, but in our film, we have black leads. Now, uh, allow me to get a bit. Um, or potentially controversial for a minute. Um, this isn't a black film. And the reason I say that so on the nose is because while I can't separate who I am from my race or my ethnicity, uh, the categories that I was thinking in wasn't that. So what I mean by that is a, a part of the setting of the film is the Marine Corps Recruit Depot. So it is Marines in boot camp and drill instructors doing what they do to recruits, yelling at them, getting in their face and things like that. That kind of interaction, that superior to subordinate interaction isn't about black or white or Latino or Asian or what have you. It's about superior to subordinate and you will listen to what your superiors say. Um, so I, I highlight that because I think there's a sense in which uh, I felt a little cornered when I was putting my film out there where some people want to say, okay, well, this is a black horror film. Well, does it make it black because there are black people in it? I, I, I don't necessarily think so. Now, uh, I'll, I'll shut this down here because I'm unsure, you know, who's following and how much people have been, you know, into this you whole debate. You say whatever debate, you want but... to say. I don't care. Oh, uh... <laughs> you say what you want to say. Um, but I will say this. I am making a black horror film. This one isn't it. Okay. Uh, this one was a film that I wanted people to think that 
it could happen at their house tonight. So I grew up watching uh, things like Freddy Krueger or, you know, um, Jason, Friday the 13th, things like that. Stuff that, you know, you have to suspend your belief for a moment to actually get involved into the story. Not here. And I was inspired by people like Jordan Peele in Get Out. I was inspired by people like Ari Oster in Hereditary. I was inspired by people like Robert Eagers in The Witch because their film seems so real. And that, to me, is what is terrifying. That bump in the night that makes you get up. You know, that kind of stuff. And I said, you know, let's see if we can scare the socks off people making this as realistic as possible. Uh in my house, we call that dread. Like, my family loves to watch some horror movies, but Amy will say, if I feel like that's going to happen, I can't handle it. Like, the dread. Now, so here's what I want to ask you. I once heard you say that horror movies were, I was it, asking questions others' movies weren't asking or exploring places, hmm. and sometimes it's the only place to go there. And I think dread is one of those elements. But tell me, what did you mean when you were saying horror explores things that other genres don't? Yeah, I think there could be a sprinkle in some other genres, but I think with horror, it's explicit. It's, in my estimation, where the <clears throat> metaphysical meets the physical. It is intentional in exploring spiritual realities. And I, you know, it doesn't matter what religious preference you have, spiritual inclinations, I would even say those who are wrestling with whether or not uh, God exists still wrestle because they're wondering about these spiritual elements. And so in horror, they meet and it forces you to have to talk about these things. It forces you to have to wrestle with, do demons exist? Does God or gods exist? Are we just a, a shell or is there more in here? And, and those are the things I enjoy talking about, not merely because I'm a Protestant, but also because it's interesting. It takes you places. Is there a difference between a film being spiritual and a film being supernatural? If so, what's the difference and which one is yours? <laughs> Yeah. Um, can I say both? <laughs> sure. Let's, again, I just gave you, you can say whatever you want, man. Go for it. Right. Uh, yeah, I think, I think it's both. Um, but I do think there is a difference. So, uh, for example, if we're watching a drama and there's a car accident and someone just says, oh, we better say a prayer and no one says a prayer, right? It's almost like a throwaway statement. Well, that's a spiritual idea, and we would hope that that spiritual would lead to the supernatural where people would pray in the film. Um, but horror tends to be supernatural through and through. These are things that are happening outside the world that we normally knows, know exist. Um, so I would... I would say while there's a lot of overlap between a film being spiritual and supernatural, if there is a difference, then definitely horror film is supernatural. It, it is going above and beyond what we know to be true in this world. 
One film that I've heard you praise recently uh, was Don't Look Up. And there's oh. a scene uh, near the end of the movie, and I believe this was Timothy Chalamet, and I, I hope I pronounced that correctly, but he prays near the end of that movie. And it's very moving. Like, it, it, it's whoever wrote that <laughs> has a prayer life, is what I thought. Uh, very, very s- spiritual. Um, and I think there's something to resonate there. I think it moves the audience. But when you combine that with the supernatural unknown, as a filmmaker, what do you want to happen? Are we talking horror? From what you? What do you? Oh yeah. What, what do you want to happen when when the, you said this both so the spiritual and supernatural bump into each other? What what do you want to elicit in the audience? Questions. I want people to ask questions. I want people to feel something. You know, it's it's like a, a moving speech. Uh, if, if, if a speaker remains just cognitive in her or his approach, then we as the audience are just recipients. We're getting a bunch of information, and then we can go home later on and think about the information or discard it or anything between. But a good orator is not simply looking to impart data. She or he is looking to move the audience to do whatever the goal is or the result is. That's my desire as a filmmaker when dealing with the spiritual and or the supernatural. I want to move you to not simply ask questions, but to feel things. I want you to be curious about what's behind that door. I want you to to be so moved that you're on the edge of your seat because when that door opens and you realize there's nothing there, guess what you also realize? You haven't been breathing the entire time. That's right. Moved. Yeah. You know? So I want to I want to talk about how you did that in the trailer, which we're going to include in the show notes. So I'll share this. Uh, a horror movie like The Nun, part of the Conjuring universe, that trailer was famous for a, a jump scare. Scared everybody in the theater. Which, it's got, it, it's got its purposes. Your trailer was not full of jump scares. It was, like, dread. Freak me out. What? <laughs> um, and it, it could have been any studio in the country that was releasing, need to say it over and over again, Manifest Evil. Manifest Evil. Go see Manifest Evil. <laughs> tell me what you wanted. Tell me what you wanted to do with that trailer. It's a good trailer. Tell, tell me what you're trying to do there. Yeah. First of all, uh, props to the guy who made it. If you go to IMDb and look up Manifest Evil, I, I believe his uh, name is there in the credits. Uh, but whether it is or is not, um, you mentioned Dread. Here's the difference, and I hope I'm not overstepping my boundaries, but here is the difference between a jump scare, which they're good, they get us, we like those. Mm-hmm. I, I, I go to Not Scary Farm, right, I, in L.A., it's, we like the monsters jumping out at us. Right, but right. But here's the difference between a jump scare and dread. Okay. Dread stays with you. Mm. 
True. A, ju- a jump scare is here one moment and gone the next. There's a scene in your trailer, and, and I can speak of it, it's in the trailer, but there's a scene <laughs> there where a soldier is, is it a rifle? Puts a rifle in her mouth? Is that mm-hmm. crazy? I, I believe that. And Yes. I was just, this sounds fair, I'm morbidly curious. Because one, that's not typically in trailers, but then I wanted to know what's going on with that character. Like what, I mean, uh, and, and also, I mean, uh, she's a soldier. Um, anything you can share about that scene without giving away too much? Yeah, I was definitely thankful that the uh, artist who put together the trailer put that part in there. It. Everyone who sees it says the same thing. They're just like, oh! and they hold their breath like, what did she just do? And so what I will say to you, Gordon, and what I'll say to your audience is on March 15th, go see and and my advice uh, and and Leon's got the approval of this don't get 20 people in one room rent it in one household and get your friends down the road to rent it we're we're not yeah yeah we we need we need a bunch of people no 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 viewing parties here no no because this this is an entrepreneurial effort and I don't know if people realize filmmaking is that uh, the soldier degrees student. Is this the first like true entrepreneurial effort you've done? I mean, when did you when did you do that? When did you discover you were an entrepreneur? Speak to that if you don't mind. Shucks, I think I was forced to discover it when my mother left me when I was fifteen. Because it was either I figure out a way to get a job so I can get an apartment and take care of myself, or I stay on the streets. So uh, at a young age, I had to discover these uh, talents and and gifts. And really, since then, it's just been a matter of developing them over over the years. Uh, uh, amazing, and I have complete respect for entrepreneurs. It's not that I don't have respects for other fields and approaches i of course i do um i mean i would go to the convenience mart with my brother when i was 12 and i would buy about five dollars worth of candy and then i'd go sell it at school multiply my money and come back i got called into the principal's office like you can't sell candy i was like i don't understand (laughs) i was doubling tripling my money you know 1984 uh, but I knew in 1984, there's something here. When did it, when did it click for you? Like, I, I could be an entrepreneur. I could be a starter. I could build things. I, I, I know the motivation and the necessity, but when did you realize you're good at it? I think, you know, good is relative. And so um, I tried to continue to improve the craft, so to speak, of being an entrepreneur. But at 15, it started. When I believe it clicked that, okay, this is the route I want to go, was right around the time I got out of the Navy. Uh, Because one of the things that um, happens for some people and doesn't happen for others is uh, there either is or isn't preparation for an active duty service person getting out. You've been in this environment for 3, 4, 10, 15, 25 years 
of this is the way you do things. Well, that might work under the banner you're under, the Navy, the Marine Corps, what have you, but it doesn't necessarily work that way when you go and work for a Fortune 500 company or something like that. So I realized right around getting out the Navy that um, maybe I wasn't as prepared as I would like to be, so let me explore some other options that allow me to put my own creativity to work. And that's when it clicked, oh, this is what I'm going to be doing for the rest of my life. I'm going to be figuring out a problem, trying to discover a solution for it so that I can share that with others who need it. Love it. Love it. So in the filmmaking process, what was the surprise that you learned? Wait a minute. I got to. This is I got to do this, or this is something that's got to happen. Was there a surprise? Had to be a bunch of them, but what was an example of one of those surprises in the filmmaking entrepreneurial process? They're like, oh, this is part of it. You're right. There were a lot, and one of the complexes I have is the savior or Superman complex. Right. Uh, I think I think a lot of us have it. We we think we can do it all. Uh, but when you're trying to produce a film, and other things as well, but when you're trying to produce a, a film that is several hundred thousand dollars, and you're trying to ensure that it looks like it is five to ten million dollars, you need an amazing team <clears throat> to get behind you, and at times be in front of you, to ensure that gets done. And when you have five thousand moving parts on a film set, there is absolutely no way I can be everywhere at once. And that's just talking about the stuff happening behind the camera. Never mind the fact that I was in 98% of the scenes in the film. <laughs> so I couldn't do it all. That's crazy. So that's why I needed that amazing producer. I needed the amazing uh, cinematographer and others to really rally to get this film done. And that's what they did. So for Manifest Evil on March 15th, Tuesday, wherever you get your on-demand. Who is this film for? First, that's a great question. I would, I believe the film is for people who enjoy a category. It's debated. It's a debated category, but it's for people who enjoy elevated horror. Elevated horror is a subgenre of horror, at least that's what some suggest, that shows horror elements that appear very realistic. So again, it's not like your saw or something like that where people are just running around chopping body parts off and, and stuff like right. that. Right. It's 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 one of those films that again, we conclude by saying this could happen at our house tonight. Think, for example, in Hereditary, since I don't want to give away anything in Manifest Evil. Ooh, now, if you haven't seen Hereditary, spoiler alert. There was a scene where the son was driving down the street. Again, spoiler alert. And his sister was in the back car, uh, back seat of the car, and she stuck her head out of the window, and boom, head got taken off by a pole. I didn't have to suspend my belief to realize, oh, 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 <laughs> like that could happen, and it just did happen. 
And so, again, while the category is debated, I would say uh, this film is first for uh, those who enjoy elevated horror. Uh, because, again, we try to make the film as realistic as possible. Secondly, I would say it's for my active duty and veterans. I am a proud veteran, and I'm thankful for the things that I learned while being in the military. And I want veterans in active duty to see a part of themselves on this film. Uh, we often aren't portrayed accurately. Uh, that's one of the things we sit back and look at when we're watching films, typically drama, where they have people being lawyers or JAG officers or, you know, medics or what have you. It's like, that's not how we behave in the military. So I wanted to convey a very realistic sense of how we are in the Marine Corps, though I was Navy. And I have uh, to thank for that, uh, by and large, Henry, a gentleman who is now serving at the Pentagon. We served together back in, I think, 2000, 2001 in Newport, Rhode Island. And he uh, was a Marine Corps officer, and he flew out, and he was our consultant to ensure that we, we looked authentic. So, so again, first and foremost, I would say it's for those who love um, elevated horror. Secondly, I would say it's for active duty and veterans. Uh, and third and finally, I would say it's for all my family and supporters who yeah. stood behind me while I had this harebrained idea to make a horror feature film with a bunch of Marines in it and uh, black people in it who don't die in the first 10 minutes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, um, my two final questions are going to be uh, where do we find you and then what's next? Um, but I want to affirm you. Uh, mm. You're a risk taker. Thank you. You're a truth speaker. Um, you're fallible. <laughs> yeah, you're a friend. <laughs> you're a friend, and uh, you are loyal to that which you. I want to say it in the right way. I mean, you're loyal to your vision, and loyal to your friends. So it, mm. it's those are qualities and characteristics that I hope you keep throughout Hollywood. I think you will. <laughs> so. Hey, thank you, Gordon. I appreciate you. Very much so. Uh, aside from Manifest Evil, March 15th, everywhere on demand, tell us, where would you like people to find you? If they're going online or social media, where do you want people to find you? You can find uh, me on IG at Leon M. Brown, and you can also follow the horror film on Instagram at Manifest Horror Film. So again, I'm at Leon and Brown. Also follow at Manifest Horror Film. Okay. And people think when movies come out that the actor hasn't been doing anything. Uh, what you got going on? What, what, uh, as many details as possible, what's coming next? Uh, I just had a, a fantastic meeting this morning, actually. Uh, we are trying to, meaning we, my production company, 7.5 Films, we are trying to secure um, a investment for a three-film slate. Uh, the total investment is $18 million, and we are uh, going to use that once the investment is secured for three films, and those are three horror films. 
Uh, one of them, as I mentioned just a bit earlier, uh, is going to be a black horror film, and and it is going to uh, be something that I hope uh, folks enjoy, that I also want to push the boundaries on. It's going to be a film that is also what we might call elevated horror. And then there's a second film uh, that is tentatively titled Excavation that um, I'm hoping you will see some of your favorite actors and actresses in. And then there's a third film that I can't mention just yet. Sure. I understand. I understand. <laughs> well, yeah, in everyone... the meantime, you know, I'm, I'm also working on a TV series. So, you know, hey, it's, it's I know just, you are. You... <laughs> uh, trying to keep busy in the midst of auditioning for other people's projects and then trying to love on my wife and four kids. And it's just a swirl at times. Good, good. Well, uh, March 15th, that's the day after this comes out. Manifest Evil everywhere on demand. And, uh, Leon, thanks for the time. I really appreciate it a ton. Hey, thanks so much, Gordon. Thank you for, for having me. Appreciate it. Sure thing. We'll talk soon. Bye, friend. We'll see you. The time it takes to buy a car, car buying just got easier. Pohanka365.com lets you complete as much or as little of the car buying process online. Pohanka365.com, car buying simplified. Anytime, anywhere.